You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And I'm Pastor Danny, if you're new here. And we're so good to see so many people here today. Such a great crowd. And uh, you guys are inviting people to come with you to church on Sundays. Thank you so much for being here. I wanted to say something. We had this uh, wonderful lady that's been a part of our church for this last year, Anina, who has been studying English at Salisbury University from China. She's been here from China. She'll be going back to China this week. Anina, where are you? Would you stand up? We just want to give you a send-off. There's Anita, thank you so much. Anita will be flying to Dallas and then on to China, and it's been a, so wonderful to have her a part of our church this year from China, So, and we're going to miss her dearly, but she's going to be watching us online in China, and uh, we're so grateful for her. And uh, I just wanted to say also how thankful I am for uh, Gary Smith. Gary Smith is here this morning. His wife went to be with the Lord uh, this week, or, or actually a couple weeks ago, and we had a memorial service for her yesterday, and Gary, we want you to know how much we love you, and we're behind you, and we just appreciate you. So... Hey, listen, how many are glad it's going to get warm eventually, huh? How about that? It's just been seriously cold, uh, and it was Groundhog Day, you know, this week, and uh, somebody saw this on Facebook, a little thing about uh, Groundhog's, uh, Groundhog, Puxatani Phil's uh, wife, ex-wife is in, uh, she's actually living in Florida, I think, and uh, says that he's a perpetual liar, so anyhow, that's the... I had our, our grandkids with us on Thursday. They spent the night with us, and uh, I was uh, hanging out with Nixon. We were sitting at the bar, and he said, uh, Papa, they say that uh, people that shovel snow, old people shovel snow, they have heart attacks. And then he said right after that, did you and Mimi have a heart attack? <laughs> so we're taking them to school, and they're telling us little jokes from school, and, the, and the, here's the little joke that uh, Nora said. Nora said, uh, what do you get when you cross a snowman and, uh, and a vampire? I said, Nora, I have no idea. She said frostbite. But anyhow, there you go. So, <laughs> Well, that's enough of that. Okay, let's get into our message this morning. We've been in a series called Do the Opposite. And this series is uh, about the things we need to do opposite this year than we did last year. You know, some things in life we can tweak a little bit and change, but some things just really need to be done totally opposite. So this year we want to do things opposite of that what we did last year. And last time I spoke, I spoke on depression and how we this year need to do the opposite, not letting our emotions master us. And I want to do another installment today, talk about depression one more week uh, because of the uh, uh, just the growing issue that it is in our culture. In fact, I read this, uh, depression has become a major issue with young people, uh, people that are in high school, people that are in middle school. Uh, I know particularly that uh, kids that were out of school last year, not having the structure of school. Uh, I watched my granddaughter, Willow, who is 12 years old. She just went into a really kind of dark place last year uh, because she didn't have that structure. This year in school, so much better. Her attitude's so much better. But uh, even young people, uh, youth in America are struggling with depression. A growing, this is what uh, the Mental Health American website says, 
A growing percentage of youth in the U.S. live with major depression. Major depression. 15.8% of youth experience a major depressive order in this last year. A 1.24% increase from the last year's data set. A lot of times we think that, you know, young people shouldn't be depressed, you know, but as they look at the world we live in, uh, there's uh, people, young kids that are really struggling with depression. But depression among adults has really skyrocketed during the pandemic. Uh, I mean, it's been uh, uh, increasing uh, very, very rapidly during the, during the pandemic. Now, Boston uh, University did this study. Depression among adults in the United States tripled in the early 2020 months of the global con- con- coronavirus epidemic, jumping from 8.5% before the pandemic to a staggering 27.8% Uh, Now, new research from Boston University School of Public Health reveals that the elevated rate of depression has persisted in 2021 and even worsened, climbing to 32.8% and affecting one in every three American adults. So before the pandemic, 8.5% of Americans were struggling with depression, and now it is at 32.8%. So what's been happening in our culture with just a sense of hopelessness that when is this thing going to be over and our lives being changed and hearing about people dying and all of that has really affected people and their emotions. So we want to talk a little bit about depression again today and then next week will be something totally different. But I just felt like we need to settle here and talk about that a little bit and really pray for people to find some victory through depression this year. And one of the things that you know I know about depression is that uh, sometimes people don't appear to be depressed and other people are obviously depressed. Have you noticed that? You can see on their faces that they're depressed. I met a man during our Christmas Eve service that was here. In fact, I'd met him a couple months before at a wedding I did in Pennsylvania. And I, this man had lost his wife, had lost his wife uh, about four or five years ago. And uh, they had built a business together and they were very, very close, and they went to work together every day. And they also had this uh, incredible recreational uh, thing that they did together. They roller skated, roller skated together uh, competitively. And they had this wonderful life together, and his wife died. And he has just been heartbroken, heartbroken. And you can see it all over him. And as I talked to him on Christmas Eve, you could see how he was struggling. So sometimes depression is obvious. You know, you can look at certain people, and some of you with your kids, you can tell, you know, when something's wrong with your kids and they're in a dark place. So sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it's not obvious. Sometimes people are depressed, and it's not obvious. You know, they put on a good face, and they they look like they're doing fine, but behind the scenes, they're really struggling with depression. And there may be people to here today that, you know, are listening online or at our Fenwick Island campus this morning that, you know, you came to church, and you just sort of look good. And uh, I remember one time I met this pastor's wife that uh, she told me about a dream she had that was reflective of herself. And she said, I saw in my dream a peacock. And when you looked under the feathers of the peacock, you could see all of these wounds and scars and boils. And she told me, she said, I feel like that peacock. 
I come to church and I put all my feathers out, I look beautiful, I, I say the right things, but underneath I'm really hurting. So sometimes people don't appear to be depressed, but yet they are struggling with depression. Uh, back in um, 1835 in, uh, in Florence, Italy, there was this, uh, this depressed man that came to a doctor for help. And in the doctor's office, he described how incredibly depressed he was and how he was struggling. And the doctor said, I know exactly what you need. There's a new circus in town, and there's this clown named Grimaldi that is just having everybody rolling in the aisles, and you need to go to that circus, and you need to experience that experience with Grimaldi so you can be encouraged. And he said, I can't do that. And he said, why? He said, because I am Grimaldi. And sometimes we are like that. We've got, this, we've got this persona that everything's okay, but inside we are struggling emotionally. So I want to talk today a little bit about what causes depression. What causes depression? And this is not an exhaustive list because I, one of the things that I didn't put on here, sometimes we don't even know what it is. And sometimes in my counseling experience over the years, when you talk to people about depression, sometimes they cannot connect the dots about why they're depressed. And sometimes there's issues that are involved chemically and all that. But uh, let me talk about some basic reasons people get depressed. The first reason that people get depressed sometimes is because of guilt. Because of guilt. Sometimes people are, are depressed because of guilt because of their sins and failures. This is particularly true of Christians in the church. When you come to the church and people begin to follow Jesus, sometimes people are struggling with depression because they are overwhelmed with a sense of failure. That they have, uh, they've sinned or they've messed up or they've broken a moral code in their heart. And so they're struggling with depression because of their guilt and because of their shame. And uh, one of the things that I believe, that I believe this about guilt, uh, I believe that there's two kinds of guilt. I believe that there's good guilt and bad guilt. Good guilt and bad guilt. Now, a psychologist hearing me say that would be appalled because they would say all guilt is bad. I would say not so. There are, there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. Good guilt is when you are doing something you shouldn't do, something's going to be destructive to your life, something that's going to be negative for you, and you're feeling guilt about that. And that is a good guilt because that is showing you that your conscience is alive that your conscience is working. The New Testament talks about having a seared conscience where you don't feel guilty uh, anymore when you should feel guilty. Uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said, uh, the human, humans are the only animal that blushes and needs to blush. So sometimes we need to blush. Sometimes we need to feel guilty about things that we're doing wrong. So the purpose of guilt is to awaken us that we're out of line. But once you repent of that, you recognize that you've done something wrong, you recognize that you've broken some moral co code, you recognize that you've done something that you, you shouldn't do, and you're, you feel guilty about that, you correct your behavior, you ask the Lord to forgive you. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
So if you confess your sins, he is worthy and faithful to forgive you of all your sins. So when you confess your sin, you ask the Lord to forgive you. He forgives you of your sin. And then if you feel guilty after that, that is bad guilt. Because guilt has a function, and the function of guilt is to get you to correct your behavior and get back in line. And if you're feeling guilty after you repented of your sin, you're feeling guilty after you've apologized, you're feeling guilty after you ask the Lord to forgive you, then you're experiencing bad guilt, or we could call that inappropriate guilt. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed those little strips, those little rumble strips on the side of the road. If you're driving down the road, uh, and you have, particularly 24 has them on the way to Mount Air, there's these things called rumble strips. Now, rumble strips, when you're riding down the road, and maybe you're drifting off, or maybe you're you're messing with your phone, and you start to drift off the road, those rumble strips start to rattle your car a little bit, and that reminds you that you're in a dangerous place, and you pull your car back, and you stay in the middle of the road. So that is good guilt. Good guilt is like a rumble strip. It reminds you that you need to get back where you need to get in order. But David said in Psalm 36, here's guilt can cause depression. Psalm 36, or 38 rather, 38, 4 and 6, here's what David said. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low, and all day long I go about mourning. So David talks about being depressed because of his guilt. So one of the reasons that we experience guilt or depression sometimes is because of our guilt. But I want you to confess this with me. Let's, let's say this verse together. First uh, John 1, 9, I'll say a line, you say it after me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that is something we need to always remember and work on. First uh, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Now I was raised in a church, a good church. I love the church I was raised in, but I never understood grace. It was always like you tried to, you need to work harder, you need to try better, you need to fast, you need to pray more. And I always felt like I was always coming up short. So in my Christian life, I constantly wrestled with guilt, not feeling like I was good enough. And one day, I just realized that I don't have to be good enough. Jesus is good enough, and because Jesus is good enough, I can enjoy the grace of God, and I can ask the Lord to forgive me when I fall short of, of the Lord's will for my life. He instantly forgives me. He doesn't make me do penance. He doesn't make me suffer. He doesn't make me walk in shame, but he forgives me instantly. So just say this with me. When the Lord forgives me, he forgives me instantly. Very important thing. And I could say a whole lot more on that, but that's one of the reasons that people uh, find themselves in guilt. And uh, this little one I like. Yeah, let me read one more verse before we go on. Psalm 103, 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
So great is his love for those who fear him. He loves you. You fear him. You walk with him. You want to be a godly person. And he loves you. His love is great. And then it says in verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from, our sin, from us. Now the second reason we get depressed sometimes is great losses in our lives. The man I talked about in the beginning of the message that had lost his wife. And uh, sometimes we get depressed because of a great loss in our life. Someone that we were very close to. Someone that we love dearly. Someone that we uh, spent our life with. And when we lose that person, it can lead to a sense of hopelessness and depression. I told you about, a, uh, about six weeks ago in a message about uh, Teddy Roosevelt on February 14th. 1884 on Valentine's Day, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was working as an assemblyman in the uh, in the government in New York New York State, and he was in Albany, New York. He got a, a telegram that said to rush home back to New York City, and he came back to New York City. And when he got there, he found out that his mother was dying of typhoid fever, and his wife, who had just delivered their little uh, little girl, their first little child, a little girl named Alice, uh, which his wife's name was Alice as well, uh, his, his wife was deathly ill with Bright's disease. And on the same day, on the same day, in the morning, his mother, who was not yet 50 years old, her name was Mitty, she died of typhoid fever in the, in the first floor of the house. And that evening, his wife, on the same day, Alice died. Uh, and so Teddy Roosevelt wrote in his diary that day, he put an X on that date of February 14th, and he put an X there, and what he wrote was, the light has gone out of my life. The light has gone out of my life. And so sometimes we go through depression because we've lost someone that's very special to us. It says in, in Genesis chapter 23, I, I read this about, this is one of a, I think a beautiful scene in the Old Testament where it talks about when Sarah died, the, the wife of Abraham, uh, and, and she died at, a, I think it was, how old was she? was uh, 127 years old. It says in Genesis 23, 1 through 2, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So I did the math. Uh, she was 127 years old. And when, they, when we first meet Sarah, she was 65 years old. So they had been together for 62 years at least. And when she died... His heart was broken. And so sometimes we go through uh, a loss of a person that's very uh, special to us, a person that we love dearly, and we lose that person. And that can take us into a depression where we get very sad and hopeless. And here's what I, one of the verses that I love that speaks to that in Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength. An ever-present help in trouble, in times of trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be transformed and the mountains be toppled into the depths of sea. In other words, that psalmist is saying, even if the biggest, stablest figures in your life like a mountain are cast into the sea, the Lord is your refuge and the Lord is your strength. 
I've watched my dad. My dad uh, lost uh, my mom after they had been married for 62 years. My mom's been gone about three, three years. And I remember the first few weeks of my dad losing my mom how sad and how depressed he was. And I'd go over there, and I would see my dad sitting in his easy chair. He has a big old Bible. You know, one of those, you never seen those big Bibles, like, you know, like people, I mean, it's like, it like has wheels on it. I mean, it's got, <laughs> it's just huge. It's like a family Bible. He's, he'd be sitting there in that easy chair, and you could see he's struggling emotionally. And uh, he had some medical things he's supposed to get done. He was not motivated to get that done. Why go on kind of thing. But he sat there with his Bible and he read, his, read the word and the Lord just kept lifting him up and lifting him up and lifting him up until my dad just, I'd, I'd see him every week and he's just got the joy of the Lord and it and, and doesn't mean that he doesn't hurt. He tells me, he said, you know, son, I still miss your mom. I think about your mom. And here's what I've discovered about grief and I've mentioned this not too long ago as well. The thing about grief and sadness is, is that, you know, we're looking for that to go away and be gone. But the truth is that sadness and grief, some sadness and grief, stay with us the rest of our lives. And the difference between us that know Jesus and people that don't know Jesus is the grief and sadness we feel, the Lord helps us to carry that. The Lord helps us to carry that. It doesn't necessarily go away, but the Lord helps us to carry that. And that's the difference, and that's the important thing. If you don't know the Lord, that's why you're going to drink too much. That's why you're going to smoke marijuana. You're going to do something to escape the pain because you don't have the Lord in your life. But when you have the Lord, the Lord can help you. The Lord is my refuge and my strength, very present help in time of trouble. So sometimes we get depressed because we lose someone or something very important in our life. Sometimes we get depressed because of boredom, because of boredom. You know, sometimes we're just, we're just bored in life. We've seen it all. We've done it all. We've traveled everywhere. We've done everything. And we're bored. We get bored. And here's the thing about life. If you don't have a new adventure, if you don't have a new dream, if you don't have something new that you're reaching out for and you get bored in life, you're going to get depressed because we are wired for adventure. We're wired to do something new. We're wired to move and to reach for something. If you're not reaching for something right now, you are slowly dying. Everybody's got to be reaching for something new. Now, this year, you think about your life, you know, if you've, uh, you know, quit, quit reaching for things, you're just the same old, same old, and you have no dreams, you have no goals, then one of the things that you need to do is say, Lord, give me a dream, give me a goal. Maybe you need to pick up playing tennis or pickleball or, you know, I can't believe I said that, but maybe you should <laughs> take up pickleball or, or take an art class or, or go back to school. I just recently uh, entered in another uh, educational program that I'm doing in my spare time. You know, I believe that the way to, 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 to stem depression is to have something that you're reaching for. Now, here's what I believe. They say, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But if the old dog is not losing, learning some new tricks, that old dog is going to die. You've got to learn some new tricks you got to keep living. you got to expand out. And let me ask you, what do you have on the horizon this year that you're reaching for? 
What do you have on the right? What are you doing fresh this year that you're reaching for? Something very important that we, that we need to do. Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was the uh, Supreme Court Justice, he retired in 1933. And President Franklin Roosevelt went to visit him. And when he went to visit him, uh, he found that, uh, that uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was studying Plato's Symposium in the original Greek. And Roosevelt said to him, why in the world at 92 years old are you reading uh, Plato's Symposium in the original Greek? And he said, he said I've got to keep my mind fresh. I've got to keep my mind fresh. People that live long, people that live well are always reaching for something. Now, if you're not reaching for something, you're going to die. If you're not reaching for something, you're going to get depressed. Boredom is very many times connected to depression. When, when Alexander the Great finished conquering all the known world at the age of 33, it says he sat down and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. We are made to reach for something. Say it with me. We are made to reach for something. So depression comes sometimes from boredom. That's an important thing. Uh, sometimes suffer, uh, depression comes from suffering and injustice in the world. Suffering and injustice in the world. Some people, they look at the world, they look at the suffering, they look at the, the tragedies in this world, and they get depressed because they see the tsunamis, they see the earthquakes, they see innocent people that go through some horrific thing in life, and they just wonder, where is God? Where is God? People struggle with injustice. It wasn't but a, about six weeks ago in the Bronx in New York, there was a fire in an apartment building, and 19 people died. Women, children, all, it was just a horrible thing. And sometimes people, when they turn the news on, and uh, I know on my smartwatch, I got a smartwatch, and I get reminded all day long about the tragedies happening in the world. You know, there's an earthquake in India or, or something happened here and tells me different people that are dying. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get all this news, you know, and all this information. And you look at the world and you think to yourself, why is the world the way it is? There's not, there must not even be a God if there's so many horrible things happening in the world. Uh, there's a, one of the biggest nemesis of the Christian faith right now is a guy named Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is a professor at North Carolina University. I've read several of his books, had to read some of, several of his books, and Bart Ehrman uh, has a lot of you know, problems with the Bible and all that, and I read all his stuff, and he's, he's a very good scholar, but uh, he's come to the wrong conclusions. But Bart Ehrman is an agnostic. It's interesting, he was raised fundamentalist, and he went to Moody Bible Institute, and then he went to, uh, uh, then he went to Princeton, and a really interesting guy. But the reason he doesn't believe in God is because of the suffering in the world. The suffering in the world. And there's going to be a lot of people in these uh, next few uh, decades that we're going to be talking to in our culture that are struggling with why is there suffering in the world. It's the number one reason people struggle. So some people get depressed when they look at all the bad things that are happening in this world. Let me just tell you uh, this. You've got, to have, you've got to have a theology in your mind about why this world has suffering in it. You've got to know why. Because there is suffering in this world. 
So sometimes we get depressed because of that. Here's the reason. We have, we came, when we read the, the Bible, we came from, uh, look at the book of Genesis, the world began in this perfect state. When everything was good, God created everything and it was good. God made this and it was good. God made that and it was good. Everything was good. And so buried in the human heart is this memory of Eden. We know the world and everything is supposed to be perfect. But because sin entered into this world, because Adam disobeyed God, the whole universe, the whole creation, mankind began to suffer. The first thing that happened after Adam and Eve sinned, the very first thing happened after Adam and Eve sinned in chapter 3, the very next thing happened in chapter 4 was a homicide where Cain killed Abel. And so suffering came into this world as a result of sin. And so when you think about this imperfect world that we live in, that there's earthquakes and there's suffering and there's people dying in hospitals, one of the things you have to know is that that was never God's original plan, but we are seeing firsthand the suffering brought in this world by the cause of sin. We live in a fallen world. And if you don't understand that or believe that or understand that, you're going to have trouble when you see suffering in the world and you're not going to be able to put that in the right frame of reference. This world was created perfect, and inside of me, every time somebody dies, every time I see an earthquake, there's the memory of Eden, Eden that this is not the way it's supposed to be. When Karen and I lived in Florida, we lived in uh, Pensacola, Florida, when we were going to school, um, Karen had this dream one night, and I've told some of you this story and told it many times in sermons uh, she had this dream, and you ever had any weird dreams? You're just like, what the world? Where did that come from? She had this dream that she was, we lived in on V Street in Pensacola, Florida, and she had this dream that she's out on the street in front of her house, and out in front of the house, uh, she's there, and she, there's this big black bull that's chasing her in the dream, and, and she's running from this bull, and she's trying to get away from this bull, and she, we had a porch on the front of our house, and she ran up on the porch, and this bull came up right behind her, and she ran in the front door of the house and closed the door, and there's that bull snorting at her standing in front of the door in the dream. In the dream, the bull turns into this little, innocent little kitten in front of her purring and kind of meowing in front of the door and she looks at the kitten and she opens the door and she lets the kitten in and when she lets the kitten in the kitten turns back into bull and wrecks habit havoc on her house you see when Adam and Eve sinned they opened the door they sinned and they opened the door that something looks so innocent just eat this unforbidden fruit and as they did that, it brought chaos into this world. Every time there's a war, every time there's cancer, every time there's a death, an untimely death, it's the sign that we live in a fallen world. And so that is why there's suffering in the world. And there's going to be suffering in this world until Jesus comes back and he sets up his reign on this planet and makes everything new. And let me give you one more little thing here. I uh, got, got a whole bunch of stuff. Jesus was asked one time about suffering. He was asked why there's suffering in the world. Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. 
At that time, some of those present told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. To this he replied, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam collapsed on them, do you think they were more sinful than others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, Jesus said, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. When I read this, and I look at this, these disciples are asking, why, why, did, these, why did these Galileans that came to worship at the temple, Pilate, you know, had this rampage and he killed all of them, and their blood was mixed with the sacrifice in the temple. And the disciples are asking, why did God let that happen? Were these really uh, worse sinners? Were they being punished for something? And here, here's the... One and only time that I remember in the Gospels where Jesus was asked, why did something bad happen in the world? And listen to his answer. This is the answer he gave. He said, repent. If you don't repent, you will likewise perish. So basically, here's Jesus' response. Jesus' response is, life is fragile. We live in a fallen world. We all stand on the edge of eternity all the time. So we need to be in right relationship with, Lord, with the Lord. Every time you see somebody die in an earthquake, every time you see somebody die of cancer, every time you see someone go through uh, some physical demise and you re, you're reminded of the suffering of the world, remind, remind yourself what Jesus said, unless we repent, we will perish. So we all stand on the edge of eternity. Say this with me, life is fragile, so I always need to be ready to meet Jesus. One more time, life is fragile, I always need to be ready to meet Jesus. So in this, uh, in the, there's a cemetery in Indiana uh, where there's written on a tombstone uh, this, this little phrase, Paul, stranger, when you pass me by... As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Someone scribbled on the bottom of that, to follow you I'm not content till I know which way you went. <laughs> so sometimes we go through depression because we see the suffering in the world. And we see the just suffering but there's a reason. There's a reason for that. And uh, so there's other things we could talk about. Suffering, uh, sometimes we're depressed because of great dis disappointments in life. We go through great disappointments in life and, and, you know, we're looking for something to happen. It doesn't happen. Um, I, I think if, if you're a football fan and you watch the uh, AFC championship between the Buffalo Bills and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, you've already seen the very best football game there ever will be. And that, uh, that was a such a great, great game. In the last two minutes, there were, uh, uh, there were, there were uh, 25 points scored between the two teams. And at 13 seconds to go, 13 seconds to go, uh, the Buffalo Bills were leading by three points. And, of course, uh, Patrick and Mahomes came back, and they tied it up, and then they lost the game uh, in overtime, 42-36. to 36. And this is the picture of Josh Allen right after the game, after he lost that game. And does that, does that summarize our lives sometimes? You're hoping for something. You're dreaming for something. 
and it doesn't take place, and so you struggle with that. So that's one of the things. Well, let me give you a, a couple little things here to help us with dealing with depression. And uh, here's, here's, here's something really, probably the most important verse of Scripture that we can have in the New Testament on depression is Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8, and this is a great passage of Scripture. It says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, here's a great verse on how to deal with depression. Don't follow the wrong thoughts. Don't follow the wrong thoughts. I have a friend in Pennsylvania that struggles with depression, and he says, as he, as he described his depression to me, he says, my depression starts with one negative thought in the morning, it feeds on another negative thought, and there's another negative thought, and he said it's a downward spiral. My thoughts get darker and darker and darker. And this scripture here tells us to think about that which is good. Now listen to this. Something I'd never seen in this verse before. This verse does not tell you not to think negative thoughts. It doesn't say the point of this verse is not don't think negative thoughts. It doesn't say that. In fact, it's impossible. If I said to you right now, don't think of a pink elephant. How many right now are thinking of a pink elephant? Just raise your hand. And the more you try to tell yourself don't think of a pink elephant, the more you think of a pink elephant. So this verse is not saying, it, the, the point of this, we shouldn't think negative thoughts, but this verse isn't saying that. This verse is saying, think positive thoughts, think good thoughts, because you can't think two things at one time. You can't think negative and positive at the same time. If you think positive thoughts, those positive thoughts take up the space of your mind so there's no room for negative thoughts. So you have to think positive things. You have to think beautiful things. You have to think wonderful things. And there's wonderful things in life. I was riding down the road the other day in my pickup and just thanking God for my Tacoma pickup with the kind of, uh, the kind of truck that Jesus would drive if he lived here on the earth, you know? <laughs> I, was just, I was just thinking about all the good things in my life. And I've got challenges in my life just like you do. I was just thinking how good the Lord is to me. I got a beautiful wife. I mean, I married way above my head. I got beautiful grandkids. I got I got uh, get to study the Bible. I have wonderful church. I have my tennis friends. I have all these good things, and I just felt the joy of the Lord. And here's the thing about here's the thing about life. The thing about life is, is you can you can wait till you feel something to act out to do something in a positive way. Or you can begin to do the right thing and let your feelings follow that. And uh, I, I meet with people from time to time, and sometimes people talk to, about, talk to me about how they're depressed and sad, and they don't feel anything, they don't feel motivated, and they don't feel like reading the Bible, they don't feel like you know, praying, they don't feel like reading, uh, you know, going to church, whatever. And here's my, here's my counsel all the time. You can either be a person who waits to feel before you act, or you can act and let your feelings catch up with your, with your actions. So I read the Bible when I don't feel like reading the Bible, and after I read the Bible for a while, I feel like reading the Bible. You know, the most important time to read the Bible is when you don't feel like reading the Bible. The most important time to pray 
It's when you don't feel like praying. So sometimes you want to you do what you are supposed to do and let your feelings catch up with your actions. So very, very important principle there. But, but Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is beautiful, think about these things. Think about these things. Put them in your mind. Put them in your heart. Think about how the, the Lord is good to you, how wonderful he is to you. And it's not about every day getting up struggling. I'm not going to think bad thoughts. I'm not going to think negative thoughts. I'm not going to think bad thoughts. I'm going to think good thoughts. I'm not going to think dark thoughts. It's not about fighting those negative thoughts. It's about replacing those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Now, I'm really into having a beautiful lawn. I don't have the best lawn. Uh, my neighbor does, but I, I'm trying to keep up with him. But here's what I've learned about lawn care. And I talked to this guy the other a couple years ago. He said, how you keep the weeds out of your lawn is you have a thick lawn that's been seeded heavily so you have all the good stuff. And when you have all the good stuff on your lawn, the weeds can't come up because there's no room for it. So if you fill your mind with good things and you think about how the Lord's been good to you, you think about how the Lord's blessed you. You know, you think about how, you know, I think about, you know, how God's just blessed me in so many ways. And, and, uh, and you just begin to thank the Lord for that. As you think about these things, you're going to have, you're going to be able to whip your depression this year because you are replacing the negative with the positive. Now, that's a biblical principle. So what's beautiful? What's admirable? What's good? What's true in your life? And there's so many good things that are going on in your life. So uh, just think about that. Here's what Martha Washington said. Martha Washington was the wife of our first president, George Washington. This is a great quote. You want to listen to this. Martha Washington says, I am determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I find myself. For I've learned the greater part of our misery or unhappiness is determined not by our circumstances, but by our disposition. That is an incredible quote. Your happiness and your joy is not determined by your circumstances. It's determined by your attitude in life. And so you've got to kind of grab a hold of it and be more and more positive. And such an important thing there. Um, so you've got to watch where your, where your thoughts take you. And a couple years ago, uh, Karen and I were at the Inner Harbor in Baltimore and... Um, we were, I had gone up there to Halliburton Sports, which is a sports store, and wanted to get some stuff at this sports store. And so after that, we went to, to the uh, Inner Harbor. And I, I don't know if you've been to the Inner, Inner Harbor in recent years, but it's just there's a lot of stuff happening around there, a lot of crime, and there were a lot of homeless people and all that. And just, uh, it was just, just a very, not a very safe place. And there was this homeless person that came up to talk to me, and I'm very compassionate for home, homeless people, but this guy came up to me, and he wanted me to give him money to go back to Kentucky. And uh, this guy should have been in sales. I mean, he was so good. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I'm really, I'm pretty deft at kind of sorting through, you know, manipulation and all that, but he, he had a dog in Kentucky. I mean, he had the whole thing. He wanted to go back to Kentucky, and he wanted a certain amount of money. And I said, well, I'm not going to give you money. Uh, I'm not going to just hand you money. He said, but, uh, he said, well, if you follow me down the street, I'll show you where you can buy me a ticket. So I'm following this guy. Karen stayed at a restaurant or whatever, and I'm following this guy down the street. 
And I'm getting down there. I'm getting further and further away from town. And I'm realizing I'm following this guy. And I got money in my pocket. And this is not a very smart thing to do. This guy may have a whole bunch of guys waiting for me down here. And there's probably not a dog in Kentucky at all. I'm telling you. And I stopped right there and said, listen, I'm sorry. I can't follow you any further. I'll be glad to take you back to the Inner Harbor, and I'll be able to be glad to buy you some food, but I'm not going to do this. And, uh, boy, of course, his demeanor changed. And sometimes we follow thoughts. We follow thoughts down a road. We walk down this road. We go further and further, and waiting for us at the end of that road is a deep, dark place because we're following thoughts that aren't going to lead us in a good place. Paul said, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is beautiful, think about these things. You know, sometimes, you know, we are sort of like the buzzard on the side of the road feeding on roadkill. Mentally, we're feeding on roadkill, but we need to think about the wonderful things the Lord has for us. I believe that this year, this year, we don't have to be in bondage to depression. I believe the Lord can help us get through these things. Would you lift your hands with me this morning? Let's let the Holy Spirit just lift you up and encourage you. All of us have a different story, but in many ways our stories are all the same. God has a wonderful plan for you this winter. The sun may not be shining and you may feel a little gray and a little gloomy because of the surroundings you're in. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit has a great plan for your future. He's with you. He's got his hand on you. He loves you. He's forgiven you of all your sins. He has a wonderful plan. And you're going to live with him for all eternity. And in this world, he's going to bless you and give you an abundant life. So, Father God, we pray over these wonderful people who love you, that fear you, that are walking with you. I pray that you'll build them up this year, that, Lord, that they'll be a witness to their neighbors because of how joyful they are in the Lord. We thank you that you are able to take our lives and turn it into something incredibly beautiful and bless our attitudes and bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Amen. Just, uh, just say this, the Lord is with me. 2022 It's going to be a great year. We love you guys. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.